I think I'm a fan. I think you've convinced me. <laughs> well, <Great>. I think <laughs> professors would like it, too, if it meant they didn't have to grade so many papers. But the yeah. TAs would have fewer jobs. So yeah. there would, again, be serious problems of transition mm-hmm. into a system like that, even if, in the long run, it would be better. Great. That's, <laughs> that's really interesting. I never thought about that. Smartphones, cars, social media, financial institutions, software runs the world, and software is getting smarter every single day. What is artificial intelligence? Where is it going? Where will it take us? And do we have reason to be concerned? You're listening to the very first episode of Audible Ethics, a podcast from Duke University's Keenan Institute for Ethics that takes on interesting topics and asks relevant questions. I'm David Wooliver Sanchez. And before we start, the views expressed are those of the speakers. To explore the ethics of artificial intelligence, or AI, I chatted with Professor Walter Sinnott Armstrong from the Keenan Institute for Ethics, among other departments. We started by defining AI, which is a lot more complicated than you might think. Some people don't call uh, something artificial intelligence unless they think it's really thinking intelligently uh, and it has beliefs and desires. Mm-hmm. And then there are big philosophical questions about whether computers or mere machines mm-hmm. could ever truly have intelligence. Now, I try to avoid those questions because I don't know how to answer them. It seems to me that the interesting questions, at least from my perspective, are about the uses of computers and sophisticated computer technology to make decisions for us in our lives. Now, are they really making decisions? Do they know what they do? Well, I don't know, and I'm not sure that really affects the ethical issues that I'm interested in and that affect people uh, every day. Uh, So I try to avoid the issue of whether they're really intelligent (laughs) and focus on what are the effects of these new technologies. That's interesting. I know that back in the day when we were first coining the term artificial intelligence, we said that like, okay, if a machine could beat the best chess player in the world at chess, then that would be artificial intelligence. But now we have programs that can do that and well beyond it, but we're not, we're still not satisfied with the definition. So I think that's a a nuanced way to approach it. Right. Some people said chess isn't good enough. (laughs) The computer has to beat humans at the game of Go, because often in the game of Go, uh, the master cannot explain why a certain move was a good move. Yeah. They just have a certain feel for it. And so if computers can, af- can even play that game, then they've got an even higher level of intelligence because they can feel their way through the game. Well, computers have won at Go, but does that mean they felt their way through the game? Again, I don't know. It's cool that they beat humans at Go, the the greatest master at Go. But that doesn't mean that they were feeling as they did it. One thing that you touched on when you were talking about the, the nuances of definition was that you don't think that that definition necessarily points at the important ethical questions. Around, around artificial intelligence. So what, what do you mean by that? What are some of the things that you think are most um, important ethically when we're talking about machine learning and, and artificial intelligence? Exactly. So whether a machine really has intelligence could be relevant to some ethical issues, mm-hmm. such as is it immoral to turn it off when it doesn't want to be turned off? I mean, if it really is a person who's intelligent, then it should have rights. And that's an interesting ethical discussion. But it's way off in the future. The ethical issues that we face today regarding 
artificial intelligence, so-called, are about the effects on humans. Will driverless cars run all of the taxi drivers and truck drivers out of a job and leave us pretty bad off in many ways with regard to unemployment? Will it reduce the number of vehicle accidents on the roads, uh, thus making people safer in other ways? What about autonomous weapons? Will they reduce the number of mistakes where a human pilot might drop a bomb in the wrong place and kill innocent civilians Mm -hmm. at a hospital, for example. Artificial intelligence might be less likely to make those mistakes. Mm -hmm. What about using artificial intelligence in prisons to decide who gets parole, who gets released early by predicting whether those people will commit crimes? Well, a lot of people find that very scary. They want humans on the parole board. But wait a minute, humans make mistakes and have prejudices that we can keep out of the artificial intelligence systems. So it seems to me the interesting ethical issues for today are about which uses do we want in our society. Let's take a sec to put this into perspective. I looked at a timeline of computer history on lifescience.com, and here are a few of the highlights skipping ahead to around 1971, when IBM engineers invented the floppy disk. Then in 1975, Paul Allen and Bill Gates start Microsoft. Not to be outdone in 1976, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak start Apple computers on April Fool's Day. 1985, Microsoft announces Windows. 96, Sergey Brin and Larry Page develop Google while at Stanford University. 99, the term Wi-Fi is coined. 2005, YouTube starts and Google acquires Android. 2007, Apple releases the iPhone. And in 2012, Facebook hit 1 billion users. The point is, tech moves quickly, very quickly. How have we kept up? Are our ethics keeping up with tech? In 1996, I saw that uh, you wrote a chapter for a book where you asked whether or not ethics has kept up with the advance of science and technology. So now, um, you know, 21 years later, in 2017, uh, where do you think we are with uh, science and technology? Um, is it been going much faster than our ethics, or is it about right? Are, are you optimistic about that? First of all, I want to applaud you for having read that chapter. I'm not sure anybody else in the world has ever read that chapter. Um, But no, I think the the problem still exists. Uh, Mm -hmm. Technology is moving at a great rate. Mm -hmm. Climate change is one obvious example. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a case where people just can't wrap their heads around what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an increase in probability of harms of an unspecified sort to an unspecified class. It's not like I'm putting the gun at one person's head and pulling the trigger where I'm sure it's going to harm that particular person. And so we evolved to have moral views about the kinds of situations that we ran into when we were evolving. Uh, But today, things are very different because Mm -hmm. of our impacts on the environment being one example. But Autonomous vehicles are another example. Uh, Autonomous weapons are another example. Uh, Now I'm being held responsible for launching an autonomous drone uh, in a military situation and what it does, even though I didn't know what it was going to do when I pushed that button. And as far as I knew, it might have come back 
saying that there's no appropriate target out there. Hmm. But still, I push the button, and it happens quite a bit later, mm -hmm. and it's not under my control at the time that it happens. Mm -hmm. Well, that makes us have to rethink a lot of our central concepts of what's morally right or wrong and sure. who's responsible and why. Mm -hmm. And I think this is going to be very challenging for ethics in the decades to come. That's interesting that you mentioned that we might prefer humans, even though they tend to make more mistakes um, with stuff like this. So do you think that there's something morally weighty there, perhaps, about saying maybe humans make more mistakes, but we should still have humans in charge of these things because they just have some sort of X factor that computers either can't have or don't have right now? Sure. Consider the Constitution of the United States. If you are accused of a crime, you get a trial by a jury of your peers. Well, no artificial intelligence system <laughs> is one of your peers. Yeah. And so it seems wrong, according to the Constitution, to have a machine deciding whether you're guilty or not. Yeah. Or for that matter, deciding your sentence or deciding whether you should get parole. Mm -hmm. A lot of people just revolt against that. Now, should they revolt against that? Very often... The machine is going to be more accurate. That means they're going to make fewer mistakes, send fewer innocent people to prison, uh, let out people who are safe instead of ones who are dangerous. good example is psychopaths. Psychopaths are paroled more often and on average earlier than non-psychopaths, even though psychopaths are more dangerous. Why? Because they learn to fool humans. It'll be a lot harder for them to fool a good artificial intelligence system. So people might revolt kind of in their emotions. They might have feel revulsion against the idea of a machine finding a human guilty in a criminal court. But it might actually lead to fewer wrongful convictions and more justice in our society. So we have to make a decision whether we're going to go with our feelings or with the data about the accuracy rates. All right, so some things for machines, some things for humans. Maybe. But when we're designing these artificial intelligence systems, who gets to decide? As recent political events have made clear, people within the United States disagree about all kinds of moral questions. And globally, the realm of possible disagreement must be huge. What does that mean for artificial intelligence? As algorithms are put in power over more areas, so like you were mentioning, like driverless cars, smart military equipment, things like that, they're inevitably going to have to be making more ethical decisions. So how can we code ethics, like a robust ethics, into these algorithms when we are so pluralistic and just have so many different competing ideas about right and wrong? So where's the balance between um, giving the AI the power it needs to do what like we want it to do, but also not give it so much power that it's making ethical decisions that maybe it shouldn't be making. Right. So the bad way to do it mm -hmm. is top-down. Mm -hmm. uh, we could program into the machine a rule that says never do harm, but then it's not going to save people mm -hmm. or prevent accidents because it might have to cause some harm to prevent a lot greater harm. Mm -hmm. Or we could say, oh, oh, okay, now the solution to that is, is the wrong rule. We should, we should program in the rule, do the least harm. 
minimize mm-hmm. suffering and harm in the world. Mm-hmm. But wait a minute, how is a machine going to do that? It's yeah. going to kill all humans. Then there will be less harm in the world. Yeah. Uh, maybe even all animals. And so it seems that there are always going to be problems if you program it top down. Mm -hmm. So what our group is doing is we're trying to do it bottom up. We're looking at a wide variety of scenarios gathered by crowdsourcing on the internet and a wide variety of morally relevant features in each scenario. Again, those features gathered by crowdsourcing on the internet. Then you can train an algorithm on your judgments on the first 90 out of the 100, test it by whether it can predict the last 10 of the 100, and now you've got an algorithm that represents your moral sense. It might not even make sense to us. It might pick out features that we're not aware of, but it's a good predictor of your judgments. Now we can take algorithms from a number of people in a community, and we can program these artificial intelligence systems so that they will not do things that over a certain percentage of the community think are morally wrong. Uh, And so that's going to avoid a system that kills all humans in order to reduce harm because most people in the community would think that's the wrong thing to do. One question then I would have about the bottom-up approach. Areas where society perhaps has moral blind spots Um, How do you think that we can do that while also avoiding status quo bias in areas where like maybe there's very wide injustices that we haven't quite picked up on? So that's a problem. And here's the approach we're going to try. But before I describe the approach, I admit that's a problem and it's going to take some working out. Uh, One start towards the solution to that problem is to ask people not just which morally feature, which morally relevant features do you think we ought to take into consideration, but also which features should we not take into consideration because Mm -hmm. they're not morally relevant. If you look at people's actual judgments, those judgments are actually affected by race and gender Mm -hmm. and lots of things that we, on reflection, think should not be affecting our moral judgments. And so we can, again, take the morally relevant features that most people think are morally relevant get rid of the ones that on reflection they think should not be in there and should not be affecting our moral judgment. And then the artificial intelligence system will be uh, using only the ones that we endorse as ones that we ought to be using. Sure. Okay. And notice the artificial intelligence system has an advantage over humans in that respect. Consider a parole board. You have a group of people deciding whether a certain inmate should get released early. Well, we don't know what features they're taking into consideration. There's good reason to think they're using race Mm -hmm. and they're using class and other factors that we think should not be taken into consideration. Mm -hmm. But of course, if you ask them, they'll deny it. Mm -hmm. And so now you've got a system that just has prejudice just built into it. Well, we can build that out of artificial intelligence systems. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be easy. Uh, But the hope is that we can at least reduce the degree to which factors that we think should not be taken into consideration Mm -hmm. are taken into consideration. Okay. So then one more question about this. If the bottom-up approach is taking place in different areas around the world, like let's say that that these methods are applied um, all over the world in different areas where algorithms are going to have power, where AIs are going to be used, Mm -hmm. um, could you see like AIs um, on one side of the world making different decisions 
than those on the other side of the world for these uh, bottom-up moral reasons that you're talking about? Absolutely. I think there will be differences, and I actually think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. One thing I love about the United States is that there are 50 states, and this is like a bunch of experiments in which laws are going to work better. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, the laws in California might not be right for Mm -hmm. uh, North Carolina or for Mm -hmm. Vermont. Uh, And so let's see where the artificial intelligence systems go. Then we can see what happens when you build that into policy, what the effects on the state are, and then the states can learn from each other. Because we're not going to all of a sudden come up with the right answer on Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to learn and get better and better and better. Mm-hmm. And so having differences between the systems in different areas could be a real plus for learning more. Yeah, it seems like that is a mistake that some people who have been talking about AI ethics have been making, is assuming that to make a robust ethics for for an artificial intelligence, we need to converge to some sort of universal moral theory. So I think that this um, more pluralistic approach has um, yeah. has a lot of good in it. Don't get me wrong. I think there will be universals. Take mm-hmm. my silly example <laughs> of the computer that decides you reduce harm in the world by killing all humans. Yeah. I believe that that will be universally rejected. <laughs> yes. You know, it's not like California is going to try that. <laughs> yeah. And so the differences are going to be along the margins. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly where you do need yeah. experimentation. Yeah. The arrival of AI isn't some abstract It's not happening far off in the future. It's happening today. Self-driving cars, your newsfeed on Facebook, medicine, the military, it's everywhere. These questions are being asked right now as we speak. And often, the people asking these questions are the innovators of the future in tech offices all over the world. Okay, so businesses have a really big role to play as, um, as artificial intelligence moves forward. Because a lot of these, you know, you have Google, you have Facebook, all of these people are rushing to put out really good AI, um, to put out good products. Um, And it seems sort of inevitable that there's going to be a little bit of trial and error um, as we're thinking about ethics with artificial intelligence. So do you think that we should give these firms the benefit of the doubt to an extent? Um, Or where do you think the role of risk aversion is as we're moving forward with ethics in this realm? So I think we should give them uh, the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. to a certain extent, just as you said. But the important thing is it's only the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't Mm -hmm. mean we buy everything they say. And it's only to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let me give some example. Uh, If one automobile manufacturer uses a certain... Uh, system for detecting other cars, and a different automobile manufacturer uses a different system. It seems to me to make perfect sense, uh, if those systems are adequate, to let them try both and see which succeeds in the long run. Mm -hmm. That's what competition does. The one that prevents more accidents, well, that's the car I'm going to buy, and I bet you're in the same way. Mm -hmm. And so that firm will succeed more. Obviously, we want minimum safety standards, but we can't figure out what's going to maximize safety unless we mm-hmm. try a few experiments. Sure. On the other hand, uh, there can be uh, systems that we as a society might want to regulate. For example, Mercedes recently announced that they were going to use an artificial intelligence system in their uh, autonomous vehicles mm-hmm. that gives priority to the passengers of the car over pedestrians. Yeah. So if it makes it safer for the 
passengers mm -hmm. to run the car into a group of pedestrians, yeah. then the car will do that. What's going to happen in the marketplace? I suspect that many people will want to buy that car <laughs> because they're going to be better off. Yeah, nobody wants to buy a death machine. <laughs> exactly. But what does that do to our society? Mm -hmm. It gives preference to the people who can afford Mercedes mm -hmm. and the people who can't afford a car at all who are walking on the street. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're the ones that are going to suffer. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind of inequality, it seems to me, is wrong. Mm -hmm. And giving preference to the drivers of the car over the pedestrians or even over people in other cars mm -hmm. also is going to lead to more deaths on the street so that you're never going to do away with all accidents, so you want to minimize the severity of the accidents, yeah. and that kind of program by Mercedes is going to increase the severity of accidents. Mm -hmm. So that's a place where the government might have to step in, because if they don't step in, a lot of people will want to buy that car, and we'll have mm -hmm. a lot more deaths on the streets. Yeah. So it seems to me there ought to be a law against that. And so this is, you said, we give them the benefit of the doubt within limits. Well, that's <laughs> one of the limits. If they start introducing systems that give unequal rights to different people who are affected by their system, then the government needs to uh, put some limits on that. Yeah. If our ethics are having trouble keeping up with the pace of science and tech, it's the law that is <laughs> having an even more difficult time. Only just recently, the FAA put out new policy about like drone ownership, um, and that just took like years to put out. So the law moves very slowly, and in a way that's good. There's some areas where the law needs to move slowly because you mm -hmm. don't want to, the law to move quickly and then make more mistakes. Mm -hmm. You want it to be very careful before you start changing basic laws. Uh, but sometimes it's frustrating how slowly it moves. Hollywood has given us a scarier perspective of AI. Not about saving lives in self-driving cars, but rather about artificial intelligence villains who decide that they don't like humans and want to take over the world. Nick Bostrom, a philosopher from Oxford University and a leading thinker on so-called existential risk posed by AI, argues that there is a possibility that an AI could reach general intelligence, which is basically human-level intelligence. Once it gets there, he argues, its ceiling for intelligence could be limitless, it could reach what he calls superintelligence. Think about it like this. Picture a football field, with intelligence being measured like the length of the field. So let's say that in the intelligence ranking, a mouse is maybe at the one-yard line, Albert Einstein is on the five-yard line, and artificial superintelligence is on the other side of the field. It's all the way at the end. If some people are working on AIs that could one day become this smart, then we better be pretty sure that they're going to have good intentions. So, does AI mean doomsday? Some think so, but Professor Sinnott Armstrong isn't so convinced. Maybe you can provide a little optimism um, to that discussion. Like, what is it about those arguments that seem that doesn't quite convince you? Well. It's possible that something like that would happen very far in the future, but I don't see it anytime soon. Sure. We mentioned earlier the uh, computer that won the game of Go. Great. That's yeah. wonderful. Mm -hmm. Well, that computer can't do anything except play Go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so it doesn't have anything like general intelligence of the sort that even a young child has. Mm -hmm. uh, it can beat the young child at Go, but the young child can do a lot of things that the computer can't. Uh, and so Nick's argument, Nick Bostrom's argument, mm -hmm. is that 
if we have different computers, each of which has these skills, and then they start communicating with each other and learning new skills that they weren't programmed for, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden we'll have a monster. Well, that's not going to happen in a millisecond. Yeah. If, if they start con conversing with each other and exchanging mm -hmm. information, the people watching those machines will know that it's happening uh, and will be able to take steps accordingly. Uh, so I think that the fears are overblown. Am I absolutely certain of that? Of yeah. course not. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been surprised by technology so many times in my life mm -hmm. that I would never claim to be certain. Uh, but I'm not worried about it. Uh, still, why not? do what we can now mm -hmm. to try to reduce that probability sure. by building some type of ethics into those systems to prevent them from uh, causing trouble mm -hmm. uh, if they do reach not super intelligence but even pretty good intelligence <laughs> yeah. and, and then start doing things that would hurt us okay all right so humans are safe for now but that doesn't mean there aren't challenges Moving forward, there's a lot to be watching. I'm certainly watching the development of autonomous vehicles. Mm -hmm. I've put in my order for a Tesla. I don't know about <laughs> you, but yeah. when the price comes down, I want one. Yeah. Uh, and I want to know how they operate and what kinds of decision-making uh, formulas are written into the program. Uh, I'm also going to be keeping an eye on the use of autonomous drones. Military weapons often have to make split-second decisions. It's not clear that humans are the best ones to do that. Sure. And yet, it also seems kind of impersonal just to press a button and send the drone off to kill people You know, when it is deciding which people to kill. So that will be an interesting debate. I think also the use of artificial intelligence in the legal system will mm -hmm. be interesting. Sure. Right now, there are some courts that are allowing artificial intelligence to decide who gets bail, um, but not how much prison they get yeah. and so on. Huh. And so uh, I imagine that those will be expanded. Helping you fill out your tax form and so sure. on will be useful. Mm -hmm. But then what if it makes a tax mistake? <laughs> now what happens? Who's responsible? Yeah, who's responsible at that point? So I think there'll be a lot of interesting uh, issues there. Uh, also, the uses in medicine will be quite interesting. We're looking at kidney exchanges oh, yeah. where you have multiple people who need a kidney mm -hmm. and they don't have any close relative or friend that matches them well enough but they have a friend who's willing to donate and that kidney might go to somebody else who has a friend who goes to somebody else who has a friend who goes to somebody else and you start exchanging them mm -hmm. and you can help everybody uh, but hospitals are not really doing that as much as they should mm -hmm. uh, to maximize our health and so that's something I'm certainly going to be watching because there's another case where a machine is going to make a life and death decision uh, and we want to know what criteria it's making. If you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe and listen to the next episodes. Then give us a nice review on iTunes and tell your friends and family. Share us on social media and send comments, questions, or ideas to keenanpodcast at gmail.com. Audible Ethics is a product of Team Keenan at the Keenan Institute for Ethics at Duke University. I'd like to thank Professor Synod Armstrong for sitting down with me for this first episode. I'd also like to thank the student team at Team Keenan and the staff that makes it all possible. Music came from podcast-safe music selections under the Creative Commons licensing. 
I'd like to thank the following artists for making their work available. Boxcat Games, Jazar, Tours, Poddington Bear, Kai Engel, Kevin MacLeod, and Black Ant. This episode was written, edited, and produced by myself, and was edited on Adobe Audition from the Creative Cloud provided by Duke University. My name is David Wolliver Sanchez. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.